Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. It is Leadership Wednesday. And uh, <laughs> I am believing God for the day. <clears throat> when we say it's Leadership Wednesday and the whole place just erupts. How many, how many of you know that um, the Bible says that whom God loves, he chastens? Amen. <laughs> and the Bible also says no chastening is good in a moment, or feels good in a moment, but it's necessary. Amen? Amen. And so, First um, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 it says, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, uh, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Um, many times people do not realize that they see the front ministries like the fivefold specifically, uh, you know, your, your pastors, your teachers, your evangelists, your prophets, the apostles. There's always this uh, jockeying, if you will, for name clout. Um, most people, unfortunately, who pursue name clout are trying to accomplish with a title what they cannot do with their own name. And, and <laughs> yeah, I know. And so one of the things that we have to always be uh, mindful of is to recognize that with the ministry of helps, there is an anointing for that. Um, you know, like I said, people think, well, you know, the pastor is anointed. They'll think, you know, the prophets and, uh, you know, evangelists and so on and so forth. And they look at the fivefold offices, but they don't realize that in 1 Corinthians 12, it lists out that God has set uh, some in the church to be some apostles. Now remember, there's some. Secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversity of tongues. Uh, governments is where you would find a pastoral role, which is to orchestrate or to coordinate and to build or to supervise the work of God. And so if there is an anointing to pastor, if there's an anointing to be an apostle, then how many of you know there's an anointing to help Amen. in the ministry of helps? And I think what people do is they think the ministry of helps is a stepping stone. And, and, and they get frustrated being in the ministry of helps because they want more visibility and not necessarily understanding that God sets some. I've seen people who have churches and they're like, everybody in here is a pastor. It's like, or everybody in here is a prophet. And they call the church the school of prophets. How do you have some translate into all? Everybody is not given the same responsibility. And the problem that people don't understand is because they think visibility equals provision. In other words, they think that the more visible you are, the more provision is given to you. And that is simply not true. If I am called to be whatever part that I'm supposed to play, as long as I play that part, I receive the exact same reward as those who may 
uh, be deemed to be more visible. And so let's go to 1 Timothy 3.14. 1 Timothy 3.14. It says, These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto uh, thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. It's interesting how he says that you ought to know uh, he's writing these letters. He is looking to show up and to help uh, them develop and grow so that they would know how to operate in the house of God. Now, the reason why this becomes important is because the house of God does not operate uh, like the world. And unfortunately, when people come into uh, the, the church, people have to understand that the workings of the church is not the same as the workings in the world. They're not the same. They're very different. If it was the same, why would he say that you've got to know how to behave thyself in the house of God? See, the rules are very different. The function is very different. The operation uh, is very different. And people have to learn how to keep the junk out. Because if you don't, the world will begin to infiltrate the church and begin to cause the church to function the same way the world does. And if we know that the world, the end thereof is comes to naught, then we don't want to function like the world because we don't want to end up like the world. And so there is a uh, put put that into um, put that into the Amplified. Verse 15. And it says, If I'm detained, you may know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and stay. And notice what he says, the prop and support. The prop and support of the truth. In other words, the very foundation, the thing that holds up everything that we do has to be undergirded by the truth. And obviously, if you have to learn it or people have to know it, he's already speaking to people that are in the church, which means that you don't get it when you're born again. You have to learn it. And, and so you obviously don't know it if you came straight out of the world because people in the world think very differently than people in the church. And so this is why the Apostle Paul said, I don't judge people without, I judge people within. In other words, I deal with the circumstances of what goes on in the house of God and not criticize or judge people who are outside of the house of God because the truth of the matter is, no matter how evil the world is, they are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And, and the, the challenge is when, when Jesus said that the children of light are not as wise as the children of the world, he was trying to tell you that people in the world know how to operate in their darkness better See, I don't have a problem with the person who's in the club backing it up. They know what they're doing and they're doing it. I don't have a person, I don't have a problem with the person who is literally living their life, you know, for Satan and they're going all the way with it. Because at least they're going all the way. <laughs> the problem I have is believers who now have come into the house of God and don't keep that same energy. <laughs> it's like if you remember back in the days. 
when you was up turning up, and you was like, turn down for what? And then you get in the house of God, and, and the worship music is playing, and you standing there posted. How did you go from... And, and, and what I'm trying to help you to understand. <laughs> Romans 14.1. You put that in the ESV. Romans 14.1. <clears throat> As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over, his, over opinions. In other words, if you are living whatever way you're living, come on. We have no problem. But I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to let you bring your outside thinking into the church and think we're going to accept that and fight with you over it because we're not going to do that. See, you can accept people, but you can reject their craziness. Because, see, people think in the world that everybody's welcome and everybody has a say. Everybody is welcome, but not everybody has a say as to how things go because it's the responsibility of leadership to teach you how it works here. Because how it works in the house is not the same as how it worked in the world. And so you can always tell people who love rebellion because when they come into the church, they want to tell you, how this should be, what this is, and then they hate structure. So I will say, if you want to make an appointment with me, one, one of the things I can always tell is when the Jezebel spirit is at work. Because Jezebel cannot stand being submitted to some level of authority. So I will say, if you want to meet with me, you have to talk to my executive assistant. You have to talk to her. Well, do I have to? Yes. Do I have to tell her what the problem is? Yes. Well, I don't want to tell her. I don't care. <laughs> she doesn't have loose lips or I wouldn't have. I've judged her character to the point where I know she's safe. Are you with me? And so we have a system, the way it works. Now, the real reason why is because if you talk to me, I'll say yes and forget. That's the real reason. I got 500 things coming at me. If you ask me something, yeah, sure. What do you, you want to do? Sunday at 4 o'clock in the morning, you got it. <laughs> Never realizing that she runs my schedule. So if you want to get on it in any reasonable amount of time, you got to follow the procedure. But it never fails. People inbox me. Hey, Pastor, can I meet with you? Talk to her. Do I have to talk to her? Yes. And I can see the Jezebel spirit at work. Because it doesn't want to follow procedure and protocol. Procedure and protocol has been developed not to benefit you, but to help me. You got one of you. <laughs> so my point is that when rebellion sets in, it's usually because people have brought worldly concepts into what they believe something should be instead of coming to learn or coming to understand. It's common in the world to talk bad about your boss. It's common in the world to talk bad about your job and to uh, not defend what's going on in your job or to think, well, if I put money in it, then I have a say-so. 
Or if I have a position, uh, then they believe that um, I can say what I want to say. Never realizing that in the ministry it helps. Just because you have a position does not mean you have a voice. And so then what happens is you have certain groups of people that want the pastor to be an underling. In other words, you do what I tell you and we pay you. The problem is the Bible says that an underling will run when all hell breaks loose. So on the other side of that, you want when all hell breaks loose, you want the pastor to stay and fight. But you want to treat him like an underling. <laughs> See, that's worldly stuff. And so then the idea is, well, you work for me. No, I don't. I don't care how big your tithe check is. I don't care how big your offering check is. I don't work for you. I work for <laughs> Now, what I'm trying to get you to understand is when people come into the church and they join the ministry of helps and they start getting involved, they forget about what exactly they are supposed to learn that the world is very different in the church than it is outside of the church. And because of that, there are things you've got to understand. And as we go through, and I'm pretty certain uh, this started out as one day, and I'm already at four days. And so I don't know how long this is going to go, but we'll trust the Lord to get it out. Amen? Amen. But 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, if you put in the Amplified Classic. Second Kings chapter 3. Verse 11, we had someone not too long ago uh, who has subsequently left, but their constant thing was, why don't you talk about God and country? God and country, God and country. They want me to enter into the political realm, God and country. And it's like, because my Bible doesn't talk about God and country. My Bible talks about God. <laughs> are, are you understand what I'm saying? And so my responsibility is to teach you enough about God that you will influence country. <laughs> are, are you with me? But because they have a strong opinion, it was a constant to the point where finally I said, shut up and leave me alone. You have a plan, go start your own church. But you will leave me alone. See, because what people don't understand is you can be thrown out. And I have no problem doing that. None whatsoever. You can throw people out. Your, yes. Yes, absolutely. Because you want to know why? The fellowship of the saints. We've got to understand what it takes for us to make it. And there are people who come to sow division and strife, and that's their sole purpose. It's to sow division and strife to keep us from ever walking in the things that we need to walk in. So what I'm endeavoring to do is to help you to begin to see some things that would help you understand how to behave yourself, how to function, how to understand what helps is and how it works in relation to the ministry. So that as you begin to move towards the things that God may have put upon your heart that you see in your future, you'll know how to do it. Does that make sense? Great. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. One of the king of Israel's servants answered Elisha, son of Shaphat, who served Elijah, is here. Keep going. 
Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So Joram, king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, went down to Elisha. Elisha, the king of Israel, said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your wicked father Ahab and your wicked mother Jezebel. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called us three kings together to be delivered into the hands of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely, were not that I respect the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a minstrel. And while the minstrel prayed, played, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Now, <clears throat> one of the greatest tragedies, I think, in the body of Christ is they don't know how to pull on the gift out of their man or woman of God. They don't, know how to, they don't know how to tap into that. Here these three kings come. And the three kings, two of them are in such a backslidden state that Elisha's like, why are you even talking to me? Well, that's not very pastoral. That's not very prophet-like if people need help. He's like, no, you come to me after you serve the devil and you're now afraid for your life and now you want to talk to me. He said, if it was not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, this one man, why did the prophet regard the presence of Jehoshaphat? Because God regarded the presence of Jehoshaphat. He said, but you have come to me in such a state that you've agitated me. So now bring me a minstrel. And what I want you to understand, even, for example, with praise and worship. I remember uh, the story about Dad Hagen would talk about how the people that was on his praise and worship team wanted to sing songs that they wanted to sing. They heard a song, they liked it, and they wanted to sing it. And he's like, you don't sing songs because you as the praise and worship team likes it. Your job is to sing songs that set the atmosphere for the prophet to step into his office so people can get answers. And that's why as the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord and the power came upon Elisha, and then Elisha began to speak some things and give them the answers they needed. And people have got to understand, just because you heard it on Caleb does not mean it's anointed. Just because you like the song doesn't mean it helps the minister to step into his office to get you the answers that you need. If it doesn't help, if it doesn't why do you think it's called the ministry of helps? So you, when you see people running around talking about, I have a music ministry, but they're not submitted to a pastor, they're not submitted to the fivefold ministry, they're not helping any minister to move or to flow, what are they doing? Because there's no such thing as a music. The purpose of music and all of the other functions that happen fall under help. And people think, well, you know, you need me. No, we don't. It's not called the ministry of needs. It's called the ministry of helps. And the ministry of helps responsibility is to do what? It's easy, right? But you would think that people would know this, but oftentimes they do not. And so 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to come back to that in just a second because there's another thing I want you to see. But 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 1. 
It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, and gifts is typically italicized, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. In other words, Christians, believers, church, say I. It's because he's talking to you. Now concerning spiritual matters or things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, I wouldn't have you ignorant. In other words, there's some things that I need you to know. There's some things you got to understand. Skip to verse 27. Here's one of those things that he needed you to understand. He says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set... Help me. Some... Right? In the church, first apostles, prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Having all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So if I'm to covet the best gift, then what are the best gifts? Listen, it's easy. You get a gift for, thank, for Christmas, right? What's the best gift you got? The one you wanted. That's the best gift. The one you wanted, the one you needed. That's your best gift. So when he begins to say to covet earnestly the best gifts, then he's telling you to seek after and desire a more excellent way and understanding there are things and gifts that are set in the body, which is why you have got to come to the understanding that you have been set in the body. Who sets people in the body? God does. That word set means to array. In other words, to put it in order, to put certain pieces in certain places for certain reasons. So when believers start to think that, oh, I really love the way that pastor does this, or I would love to be able to go to the pulpit. And if you're not invited to the pulpit, then you've got an attitude and you talk bad about every person who is on the pulpit. And so you see someone that the pastor has chosen and you're like, I'm smarter than them. I'm more anointed than them. You may not ever let it come out your mouth, but your mind is thinking along that way because you have an unrenewed mind. Because if you had a renewed mind, you would begin to realize that you will only do what you are prepared to do. (laughs) Which is why he said there's a more excellent way. When you understand that your gift, whatever is the gift you're supposed to covet, is the yoke you're supposed to wear. This is why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some translation says my yoke fits. In other words, what you were called to do fits for you. Hence, you're used in that area because it fits. Not because you want it, not because you desire it, not because you think it's cool, not because you think it looks fun, but because God has given you certain gifts. He gave you a yoke that fits you, a responsibility that fits you, and you are too uh, unaware and ungrateful to then sit around and covet somebody else's gift. What someone else gets to do, Well, why do they get to do that? Why did he choose that person? I don't know why God does what he does. Here's what I can tell you. It's above my pay grade. Because if I had it up to me, if I chose for myself, I would be on an island 
with my wife and my babies, eating mashed fish, wearing coconut leaves, <laughs> with my library. And that's it. <laughs> See, what I, what I want you to begin to understand is God set things in a certain way and in a certain order. And what we have to realize is helps is, in fact, a ministry. And it comes with a certain level of provision. And it's the same provision. And this is what I want you to understand. People don't realize when you won't serve in the ministry of helps, you have cut yourself off from a certain level of supply. Because the same provision that I get to believe God for and with is the same one every single person in the ministry of helps has the exact same ability to believe. When people are in the ministry of helps, they're like, well, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure I can handle this. The same anointing that's on me is the same anointing that's on you. As God has set me and gave me a gift, God set you and gave you the same abilities. Now you are able to accomplish whatever it is because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the anointing rests upon your shoulders to accomplish whatever is asked of you. But if you don't have the ability to tap into faith and to believe in the same way because you are constantly looking at a, a prophet, you're constantly looking at this higher, what you deem to be a higher office, you will diminish the office you're in, thereby applying dishonor to what God gave you. Which is why he said, to them that honor me, I will honor. And those that lightly esteem, see, what we don't get is, if you're going to honor God, you also have to honor his choices. You've got to honor his decisions. You've got to honor his ministries. Look at, look at um, Luke 6.39. He spake a parable unto them and said, Can the blind lead the blind? Can the blind lead the blind? Yes. Because yes. how else do they both end up in a ditch? The disciple is not above his master. But everyone that is perfect shall be as. In other words, anyone who's mature will end up being like your master, but you'll never be greater. This is why when people come into a church, I've been doing this a long time. You just got here. And you're thinking you're, you know more than I do. When I get around my spiritual father, I shut up. I ain't got an opinion. There's no, I, I, there's no, that man has seen more in the 50 years of ministry, or however long it's been, 30, was it 35, 40 years? Something like that. Then he's forgotten more than I've ever learned. So I've learned that when I get around people who are higher and ahead of me, I will never catch them. I don't care how much I study, I don't care how much I think I know, I will never catch them. And I'm often amazed at how many people who are called, who will deal with me in a way, they're here for me to train them. And they'll make comments to me like, well, maybe God will reveal it to you. Are you crazy? Who are you talking to? I am literally responsible here. And if I wasn't supposed to be responsible here, he'd make you responsible, and I'd be happy about it. I love doing what God's called me to do. I don't want you to get the impression that I don't. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. But I'm also not crazy enough to not know the responsibility that comes with it. And so you're dealing with people 
who think they'll ever become greater than you. There's, not, there's no possible way. My spiritual father started 35 years ago. He's got a 25-year jump on me. You think I'm going to catch that? Never. So then when you begin to understand how the relationships work, then you begin to realize you are not here because of anything more than to be developed. And it is my responsibility to do so. And so now, if that's the case, then you have to realize if you're going to follow and follow closely, then you better learn certain ways of how things work. Because they don't work like the world's way of things. And the faster you understand and get an understanding of how the anointing works, that's why the Bible says be swift to hear and slow to speak. There's times where people come to me and they just start talking. And I'm like, okay, what are you here for? Well, I know I already figured it out. I just wanted to get your opinion. No, you, you, I don't have an opinion. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I don't have an opinion. I don't. So if you just came to hear my opinion, do us both a favor. Don't even worry about it. But if you came to get counsel and guidance, then the first thing you ought to learn how to do is close your mouth. Because I'm not going to talk over you. <laughs> if you got all the answers, I'm going to listen. And I've seen people walk away from meetings with me and go, well, you told. No, I didn't. You told yourself that. <laughs> don't, don't talk to me. You played yourself. Because you heard what you wanted to hear because that's what you're talking about. Are, are you? <laughs> we okay? Good. So, so then when we... Understand that everything that's done in a ministry helps us to enhance ministry. Uh, then we begin to realize that, you know, when we talk about uh, something like seating, we say this is the way we seat people so that people are comfortable, and you think it's not important. Well, if the minister asks you to do it, it's important. If God said, I want you to handle sound a certain way, it's important. If God said, I want you to do certain, such and such and such and such way, it's important. And if it wasn't important, nobody would talk about it. And a lot of times when people get into positions, they want to do things their way. Well, I just think this is the way it should be done. Nobody asked you what you think. When you yield to someone else, you begin to learn this is the way they need it done because you're enhancing them, not you. You're not amplifying your personality. You're amplifying theirs. Be careful with people who have your head but don't have your heart. As things need to be done and accomplished in the ministry, they are always to be done in a way that's consistent with not what is the way you want it to be done, but the way uh, it needs to be done. And here is the interesting part about all of that. When Elisha got angry and said, why don't you go to your own priests and your own leaders to get your help? He was trying to tell them, you have a certain way of doing things. You're not here because you honor me. You're trying to do the way you did things with them to now come and do that with me. When you come in out of the world, I don't care how much you think you know. I don't care if you wired the White House for sound. You are not going to run sound here. Well, you don't know how much uh, experience I got. It doesn't matter. 
What matters to me is the intangibles that are necessary for me to respect and regard your position. And it has nothing to do with what you perceive to be your skill set. Are you understand what I'm saying? Or somebody say, well, I've got all this experience uh, doing this. And it's like, I don't care. It does not matter. Because if your character doesn't match your experience, you're going to be in there making everybody angry. There's people I put into certain ministries. Every ministry they go into, they make somebody angry. And they get into a fight with somebody. And then they run around thinking it's everybody else. You know the definition of insanity is thinking everybody else has a problem. And it's not you. Are, are you... <laughs> So there are things that have to be worked out of you in order to be used to a greater degree in ministry. And you ought to be grateful because at the level where you are, you can make mistakes and can recover. But if you get out there and you're at the forefront of a ministry and people are you're responsible for hundreds, thousands or whatever the case may be. And you're out there doing that same stupid stuff. The effects could be catastrophic. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so God puts you in a place so you will learn how to behave and how to conduct yourself and understand how to function in a way that is consistent with the way God does things so you can begin to grow in the things pertaining to and of the Spirit. So then when you look at how people deal with certain things, they're they're upset because you're teaching a certain message. Is he talking about me? Probably. But see, when you understand that, then you know there's, there's a place where you need to make an adjustment. <clears throat> and you can get angry, like kids do. How many of y'all got kids? How many of y'all have ever noticed that your kids will get mad at you when you're doing the right thing concerning them? You never let me do anything. No, we just not going to let you get killed. We want you to grow up. And then what happens when they grow up, they realize the things you wouldn't let them do. There was a reason for it. And now they're grateful because they're not serving 10 to 20. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But believers act like little kids when you tell them don't do that. No, he's trying to tell me what he's trying. He's like the man trying to keep me down. No, dummy, I'm trying to save your life. (laughs) Because I understand a deeper view of where you're going and what it looks like. The responsibility is to fly at a higher place and see further. And I know there are certain things you can't make it with certain attitudes. Are you? (laughs) And so there's a responsibility there to help you to grow into what he's called you to do and at the same time you have a responsibility to also help I had a guy one time uh, he asked me to be his uh, mentor his spiritual father and I said you don't qualify he says what do you mean I don't qualify sure I do I said no you don't you don't invest into anything I do you don't show up to any of my meetings you're not involved in anything to help well, the Bible says freely give, freely receive. The Bible says freely give, freely receive the gospel. I said, I've never charged you to listen to a sermon. You want to give, you give. You don't, you don't. 
I said, but what you want is you want me to take what I've spent my life trying to develop, understand, and learn that I've invested my time, my effort, my finances into and give it to you without the process. So what you want to do is imitate and not duplicate. See, we, we have, uh, we used to do CDs. And when we did CDs, we had a CD duplicator. You put the master in, you put the blank ones in, you hit a button, and it copied from the master into the multiples. That took time. And when it was done, you had exact duplicates of what you copied. People don't want the time. They want to imitate. They want, and that's what Spirit of Jezebel wants to do. It wants to get close enough to imitate you, but never put in enough work to duplicate you. And so what I'm trying to get you to understand is there is a reason why the Bible tells you that you are to work with your leaders in a way that brings them joy. And then he says, but it's beneficial to you. You think, well, if I just serve him, make him happy, everything's great. No, it's for you to allow your service to be a joy to your leaders. Not for me. It's for you. Are, are you <laughs> okay? And <laughs> so then look at Colossians 3. You'll like this. Verse 23 in the NIV, please. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? Not for? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a what? So if you're looking for your reward from man, the pat on the back, the kudos. Brother Keith Moore told a story and he, God had told him to go help uh, Dad Hagen. And so they went to help Dad Hagen, and then, um, you know, he started to kind of feel that he was started, supposed to start his own ministry. So he went to Dad Hagen, and he said, I feel like we're supposed to start our own ministry. And Dad Hagen responded with, well, I bet you better, uh, you better get to it. Now, what else is he supposed to say? So they went out, started a ministry. This is a public story. He's told it many times. So they went out and they started doing their own ministry and all hell was breaking loose. Finally, they sought the Lord and they said, what is going on? And the Lord said, what did I tell you to do? I told you to go help. Well, you know, I don't know that they really appreciate it. And this is what he said. God told him, I didn't tell him to appreciate you. I told you to go help him. <laughs> well, he don't, he don't appreciate all that I do. You have any idea all the stuff I'm putting in? Listen, the reality is we do appreciate what people do to help us. But if you are working for that, then you have sacrificed the real reward. And there's no way I can write the check that God can write. 
And that's why, because you're worshiping a person, you become disappointed because people are disappointing. Ask Adam. Look at 1 Kings 19. First Kings 19, verse 15. The Lord said, go back. Take the road of least to the desert around Damascus. Go into Damascus, anoint uh, Haziel, and ask king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be king over Israel. Next, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, and Abel of Mahola. Uh, he will be the prophet who takes your place. Put in the easy read version. He will be the prophet that takes your place. Isn't that what it says? So then help me to understand when we go to verse 19. Who is the next prophet? Elisha, right? So Elijah left there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who's plowing was being done with 12 yoke of oxen. He drove the 12th. Elisha crossed over to him, cast his mantle on him, left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my mother or my father and my mother that I will follow you. And he doing what? Let's put in the Amplified real quick. Boiled their flesh, oxen, yoke. No, go back. Verse 20. Uh, verse 20. Yeah, no, there it is, right there. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, let me kiss my mother and father, and then I will follow you. And he doing what? Said, go on back, what have I done to you? Then notice what he says. See, you have to learn how to settle it for yourself. It's not my job to settle it for you. He said, can I go do this, this, and this? He said, I don't really care. What have I got to do with you? In other words, I'm not the one who called you. I'm not the one who put that little itch on the inside of you that's calling you deeper into things. I didn't do that. I don't have that ability. God does. So when God began to confirm what was working in his life and gave him an invitation, everybody say invitation. One of the greatest problems that I believe in the generations coming up is not they don't want to work, not that they don't want, because there's a lot of things said about these generations, and I don't agree with any of those. This one thing I think is a huge problem. They don't know an invitation when they hear it. I really wish people would know when an invitation is being given. Because... Your future is tied to the invitation. Your prosperity is tied to the invitation. Your success is tied to the invitation. And people think, well, I can just do whatever I want, however I want. Uh, you watch people, they jump from church to church like they can choose what church they go to. When the Bible says he set people in the body as he please, not as you please. But they think that that's the way it works. And they wonder why it always eludes them. It's always just beyond their fingertips. And it's because they never recognize when an invitation came. There have been times where I'll call and I'll ask somebody something or send a message. Hey, could you help me with such and such? It's an invitation. And they're like, oh, no, no, I'm, 
I'm busy, I got stuff, I, or they'll handle it poorly. <laughs> so poorly that I won't ask. And then I'll ask a little bit later on, send another invitation. But they don't realize it's like a party. If I send you an invite to the party and you don't come, so I might send you another invite and you don't come. I'm going to stop sending <laughs> because why keep baiting you into an invitation as if it's my job? Settle it. I've given people opportunities, flat out blew them, just blew it. And, there, and, and of course, I'm always gracious. Love you, sure appreciate you, but I'm done. You blew the invitation. You didn't know this what this was. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> so Elisha went back from him, took the yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh with the oxen yoke as fuel, and gave them to the people. They ate, they arose, then he arose and followed, and he did what? Can we put the next? Thank you. So Elisha went back from him. Then he took a yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh, and gave it to the people. They ate, and then he did what? There's 12 yoke of oxen. He's plowing one of them. He's using one as a plow, right? So he's a pretty successful farmer. Wouldn't you agree? That's like saying today you got 12 tractors running on your, on your property. He boils one of them. He burns them with the yoke, the wood from the yoke, and he cooks the oxen, and then family eats and he leaves. Which one of the 12 do you think he killed and sacrificed? Hmm? His. Which might have been the best one, but it's still his. Why would he do that? Because he wasn't going back. And it's so hard to build anything with people who are always looking back thinking I could go back to this or I could go back that way. When he said, I'm going to serve and I'm in it to win it, he said, I will burn whatever it is because I'm not going backwards. There is no way I'm leaving my supply. I'm not turning around because I'm totally committed. I don't have a plan B. All I got is plan A. And I'm telling you, the reason why God can't use certain people is because you still got a plan B, you got a plan C, and you are not wholeheartedly sold out to what God has asked you to do. And that's why there is no provision. That's why there's a struggle. But the moment you say, I don't care what it costs, I'm going to use the wood from my plow, I'm going to put the oxen on this wood and burn up the whole thing. Because I ain't going back. Because what was back there is not where I'm going. Then he could have said, you were called to anoint me to be the next prophet. So then he arose, followed Elijah, and he preached for him. Huh? He did what? So then when the three kings got into trouble and they said, we're having a problem. And the servant said, I know a man. They didn't say, I know a prophet. They said, I know somebody who poured water. Oh, my God. 
His reputation wasn't, he's the great prophet, the next. Did he know he was next? Yes. Was he anointed to be next? Yes. But why doesn't anybody know that that's what he is? All they, re they remember him as is the one who served. But you got people running around, if you'll give me a title, I'll do it. Trying to accomplish with a title what their character will not accomplish or do. Well, you know, if I was the pastor, I'd... No, listen. He was known as the dude who served. <laughs> Yet the power of God in double rested on him. And when the other prophets came around, you know your master's going to be taken from you today, he's like, shut up, I know it, hold your peace. Why did he tell him to hold your peace? Because you wasn't invited. <laughs> so don't talk to me because I know what's happening because I was invited. You were not. That's why you're sitting on the outside. Talking about, I sure wish I could get an opportunity. I wish, you know, God would call on me. If he just give me something to do, your phone rings. Hey, could you help me with this? Um, yeah, I'm kind of busy. I'm still waiting for God to tell you what to do. You, as the ministry of helps, should be grateful that you've been invited. You ought to be excited. I've been invited. I don't care what your job function is. I don't care what your responsibility is. I don't care if you are in the sound booth, you are working with the kids, you are sweeping the floors, if you are sanitizing them. Every piece has a responsibility. And the fact that you have an invitation when there are a whole bunch of people that are sitting in the stands wishing they had an invitation, wishing they had the anointing on their life, wishing that God would bless them the way he wants to bless you because you have taken his cause. That's why David said, let them shout for joy and be glad. They who do what? Favor his righteous cause. Yay! Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I am so glad God gave me an invitation to show up. Because without his invitation... But I settled it for myself. So God told Brother Keith, he said, listen, I put you with them to learn. <laughs> he said, there were things they needed to teach you. So they went back and they said, we messed up. <laughs> we missed it. <clears throat> I think, don't quote me on this, but he said it took 10 years before Dad Hagen ever asked him to do anything. Ten years. Because he lost his position. Ten years. Now, if you know towards the end of Rhema, and in and, and terms of Dad Hagen's life, he would always say, Brother Keith, sing me a song. Where's Christine? How? Where's she at? She's not here. Where's uh, Elijah? Didn't he always say that? Brother Keith, sing me a song. Brother Keith, you got something? See, people see that, but they don't know how. And then they see his ministry today. Dad Higgins had to get to a meeting, and Brother Keith got wind of it and called him and said, I know your, your plane is down. 
He said, I'll send mine to get you, to take you to the meeting. If you know anything about a private jet, you're talking thousands per hour. <laughs> and he sent it from where he is to pick him up and get him to a meeting and then bring him back. See, when you understand your invitation, <laughs> oh my goodness. And then people think, well, how does he have such things now? Because of how he handled. Look at, uh, Second Kings 2. Um, we're going somewhere else. I don't have time for that. 1 Samuel 2, 24, verse 4. 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. <clears throat> and then go to 1 Samuel 16, 1. We'll read that and we'll go to 1 Samuel 24, 4. First Samuel 16.1. And we'll come right back. Blessed be God forevermore. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a what? Among his, did God say, release, clue everybody in, tell everybody, this is what I'm about to do, or did he do it in complete and total secrecy? He said it. I provided a king. So, when Samuel went to anoint David, he anointed him for what purpose? Then verse, uh, 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. David's men told him, this is the day that the Lord told you about when he said, I will give, put an easy read, please. I will give your enemy to you and you can do whatever you want to him. So David crawled closer and closer to Saul and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Saul didn't even notice what happened. Later, David felt bad about it. And he said to his men, I pray the Lord never lets me do anything like this to my master again. I must not do anything against Saul because he is the Lord's chosen. David said these things to stop his men. He would not let his men hurt Saul. <clears throat> Who's the next king? Did God tell him that I would give Saul into your hands to do what you wanted to? then why is David bothered? He is the next king, is he not? Does he know it? Is he aware of it? Why is he running for his life? Saul is now, the Bible says he went to uh, cover his feet, which basically means he went in there to relieve himself because he had to go to the bathroom. He's in a dark cave. 
David and his men are in the throes of the cave. He's in there by himself. He crawls up behind him, cuts the hem of his garment off, and he literally is heartbroken to the point where he runs out after Saul and reveals himself and says, I am but a dead dog, a flea. God said he was a king. David said he was a flea. He said, why would you continue to come after me? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. See, what people don't understand is your ambitions will get you to pursue a position that you wasn't given. Because you think, well, I can do it better than so-and-so. I've had all kinds of crazy stuff go on with different leaders that it's like people under them are jockeying for their position and are trying to get it any way they can. And, and, the part, and the part that really trips me up is they don't think I know that. And then they wonder why an opportunity never comes to them. It's because they would cut the hem of their leader's skirt off in a minute and wouldn't think nothing of it, trying to get a position. Because besides, I'm anointed to be the next. Do you know who I am? <laughs> Instead of saying, you know what? <laughs> I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. But until then, he's going to find me faithful. He's going to find me respecting those that I have to be submitted to. Because I'm not a Jezebel. I can deal with submission. I can deal with a leader and be led. Because I can't lead until I learn how to. <laughs> you have to be careful about acceleration. Because getting it the wrong way is a problem. See, you're not submitted when you do what people tell you to do because you agree. People really think that. Oh, I agree with you, Pastor. Let's do that. And then they say, I'm submitted. I'll do it. You ain't submitted until I tell you to do something. As long as it's legal, ethical, and moral. When I tell you to do something and you don't agree, yet you do it as unto the Lord, as if you do, you have now entered into the world of submission. But you are not submitted doing what you want to do. <laughs> David had every right. Can I take you one more place? <clears throat> Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron, uh, verse 1. Numbers 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hasn't he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek and above all the men which were on the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, said, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And the three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar cloud and stood by the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. He said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, if there be a prophet among you, I'll make myself known to him in a vision and will speak unto him in a uh, dream. My servant Moses, not so, who was faithful in all my house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, not, even, not in dark speeches, in the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? 
The anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed off the tabernacle. Behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Here, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. The Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days. Yes? Miriam is talking to Moses about how could you marry this little black girl? That's today's version. God said, because she's talking, well, I pray and I hear from the Lord and the Lord speaks to me and I have a prayer life and he talks to me as well and my spirit is leading me and my spirit told me this. And he said, listen, if I talk to you, I talk to you darkly in, in, you know, I don't give it to you all. I give you pieces. He said, but to my servant, Moses, I talked to him mouth to mouth. In other words, he gets it. I tell him the whole thing. He said, so when he lift, when it cloud lifted, she had leprosy. Why would she be the one who had leprosy? If you notice, if you read it, you'll see Aaron pretty much stay quiet. When Aaron heard God say, come on out here, I want to talk to you. Aaron had enough sense to say, I got nothing else to say at this point. If God calls you out and says, I need to talk to you, it, it really is not a good day. She had enough audacity to open her mouth and talk about what she should not have put her mouth on. Now, what I want you to understand is this. It says, Miriam was shut out of the camp. How long? And the people journeyed not till Moses had a job. Moses' job was to take the people to the promised land. Yes? They moved every day. Yes? The ministry was held up and delayed. Not because of the leader. Because people would be like, well, I just thought we'd grow and this would happen. And maybe, you know, the leader's at fault. And maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't want to grow. And maybe he doesn't want to do. And, you know, maybe it's because he. And nobody ever stops to think that the reason why the work gets slowed up is because of you. Waiting for you to get to a place of getting off punishment. So when a little friend comes to your house and says, hey, can so-and-so play? Oh, they're grounded today. So you sit out there by yourself waiting out their grounding period. Wondering why we can't move to the next place because we all got to go. And instead of you checking the people that you see their craziness, if somebody came and talked bad about your mama, you'd be like, you know what? Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's my mama we talking about. But you'll hear him say things about your leaders. You'll hear him say things about your divine connections that you'll say nothing about. And so now everybody's held up waiting for her. And Moses got to sit there and wait, ready to go, wanting to go, nowhere to go. But waiting for you to learn how to love your neighbor. 
Learning, waiting for you to learn how when you serve in your ministry to love your ministry leader and give them the respect they deserve so we can go to the next level. Because you're needed in the body at the next level, but you can't stop fussing and fighting at the level you're at. You can't even listen to the voice of the one you should be hearing. And now we all got to sit around and wait for you to grow up. They thought they had the right to say something, they didn't. And then people wonder, well, church seems stalled. <laughs> we waiting on you. You sitting there and won't serve. You sitting outside the camp. Not for seven days, seven years. So I wonder when the church is going to be able to do this. I sure we wish we had that, but you won't tithe. Word goes forth. There's a place of our own. That word's been spoken over this church many times. There's a place of our own. When's it coming? Oh, it's pastor's fault. <laughs> See, this is not a chosen profession. This is a divine calling. And when you understand the difference, when you begin to realize it doesn't operate like the world operates. We're in a different system. We function completely different. And when we function differently, we begin to learn that it doesn't work the way you think it does. And so here Moses is. I love Miriam. She's my sister. So now, are we moving today? No. What do you mean? No, we, we can't go nowhere. We waiting on Sister So-and-so. We waiting for her to get a revelation of the gift she has so she can bring it to the table. Okay. Are we moving today? No. We waiting on Brother So-and-so. Who's supposed to be responsible for this aspect of the ministry, but they won't get it together. And so how do we do this if we have thousands, if we can't handle hundreds, if we can't operate in excellence with what we have, because brother so-and-so acts like, well, this is just a secondary thing. And his job is way more important than serving God. He'll never say that. He'll never come right out and say that. But by their actions, that's what they're showing. And then wonder why things, why their finances are stalled. <laughs> why their life is stalled. <laughs> why they can't keep journeying. Because you got somebody sitting in a spot, in a seat, holding it, and won't do it properly. All the while, Moses is like, I love the people. That's how you know a real shepherd. So if we all can't go, then we'll all just have to sit here. <laughs> Why y'all look like that? I got about four more pages. We don't have enough time for that. So well, let's pray. 
boy, we landed that one pretty fast, didn't we? Lord, <clears throat> we've all missed it, myself included. We've all had those moments where we just didn't see it. Uh, but Father, I thank you that we're starting to see it. And with you, you'll give it to us on credit. All we have to do is make the adjustment. And Lord, you'll, you'll begin to move. You'll begin to show us, lead us, and reveal to us the things that we need to understand so that we can continue to journey on and not be stalled, not be held up, not be uh, delayed. We'll understand invitations. We'll, we'll know how to settle these things for ourselves. Stop thinking we're a gift to someone else and realize we're there to be a supply. And as we bring a supply, we don't need to be patted on the back. We don't need constant interaction. We just know we're here to do what we are called to do. And we know there's a reward that comes from you, Lord. <laughs> That's greater than anything any person can do. And so when we serve, whether it be praise worship, whether it be in the sound, whether it be in kids, whether it be in sanitation, whether it be, uh, you know, greeting, whether it be parking lot, whether it be security, whatever it may be, whatever areas we serve, we do it as unto the Lord and not as unto people for their approval. We understand that the ministry helps us to bring help. Not hurt, not hindrance, but help. And so we thank you that whatever way it needs to be done, that's the way we are going to do it. And for those that are already in that path, they're already doing it. And Father, I thank you that they understand there's provision for that. That no weapon formed. They get to stand in a different place because there's a provision with the invitation. There's a supply that comes with that invitation. So Lord, we thank you for it right now. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. Sure do love you guys. Y'all make it easy. I appreciate you listening because I know it ain't easy, but y'all make it easy for me. So love you guys. We'll see you on Sunday.